difícil. Todd Prater. I'm the student minister here on staff, and I'm excited about this day, not only because it's graduation Sunday, it's a milestone event in the life of our church and in the life of many families in our church. In fact, in the third service, we're going to celebrate 14 of those families and those students um, as they graduate and move from this phase of life into the next phase. And all the many questions that are going to happen in this next phase that didn't happen in this phase they're in right now. Because in life, no matter what phase we're on, whether we're the youngest of young or the oldest of old or seasoned of seasoned, we're going to have questions in life. I think about elementary school students. Our elementary school students are probably asking a lot of questions. Um, a lot of them are seemingly insignificant to us, but they're super heavy on their hearts. Like one of the questions that we hear in our house all the time is, how much screen time do I get this week? How much playtime do I get this week? Or can I even have it during the week? Does it only have to be on the weekend? One of the questions that we're wrestling with in our house with our elementary school student is, why do I have to shower? probably asking that same thing in middle school too, but I'm really wrestling with it in elementary school. And so I look at my son, I'm like, because you smell. Uh, we went to a graduation party of one of our seniors last night, and both my kids come home, and they're covered head to toe in dirt, and neither one of them wanted to shower. I'm like, you, what is wrong? Like, yes, you have to shower. And then we move to middle school and high school, and we start to ask a little bit different questions. Maybe we're asking, are people going to accept me for who I am? Maybe we're asking the question of, if they're not, do I have to change to fit in to a specific group if I want to? Or who am I going to date? Or for some of our students right now, we're asking, what do I do when I graduate high school? When I move to the next phase, what's my career going to be? Is it going to be going straight to college? Or maybe it's joining the workforce. Or maybe it's even going to a tech school. Maybe we're even talking about joining the military. And there's questions that we ask. And then we move to young adult life. And in our young adult life, we're asking things like, where am I going to live? Where am I going to get married? Is she going to be pretty? Like, those are questions that we're asking. What am I going to do for my career? What am I going to do if I want to have kids? How many kids do I want to have? All of these different questions we start to wrestle with. And then we move to middle age. It's a season of life that I'm currently in. And we start to ask really deep, deep questions like, what happened to my high school body? What happened to my hair? Like really just like soul searching questions. One of the ones I'm really wrestling with is why can I not do the same things at 40 that I could do at 18? Like it just, why do I have two days to recover from playing kickball? Like I, I don't understand these things. 
And then I ask myself these questions that are a little bit more, not tongue in cheek, a little bit more serious nature of like, what am I going to do to set myself up for retirement? What am I going to do to try and rectify some of the debt that I have? What am I going to do to prepare my kids when I'm gone? Those are questions that I'm wrestling with as a middle-aged man. Then we move to retirement age, the glory days, right? We're going we're gonna to do all the things we wanted to do, but now we're starting to question like, what happens if I get sick? What happens if I get so sick that I can't take care of myself? Who's going to take care of me? Have, has everything that I've done financially set me up to be taken care of? And these are questions that we ask throughout life. And there's another question that's, that's right in there with them and, and just as important. We ask the question, who is Jesus? We ask that question, who is Jesus? And the world's going to tell us a lot of different things. Some may even say that Jesus is just a fictional character. Somebody the church created to keep people in line. Some may even say that Jesus is a really, um, he's a historical figure because outside of the Bible, you can point to a time and and a place where Jesus existed. But just like people like Abraham Lincoln and Plato and Mozart and George Washington, you can point to their existence, but they're no longer with us. And so Jesus is no longer alive. Some may even say that Jesus is a good religious leader, that he had a great following, a lot like Buddha and Gandhi, but like those two, he's no longer with us. And some may even say that Jesus is a really good religious or excuse me, a really good moral example. He said all the right things. He did all the right things. He loved the right people. He cared for the poor. He cared for the sick. He healed people. He cared. But the idea of resurrection, the idea of raising someone from death to life, raising yourself from death to life was a foreign concept and miracles were just not something that people could wrap their mind around. So really he's just a good religious leader, a good moral example. And ultimately, it's not about what the world says, but it's about what we say. Who is Jesus for us? Who is Jesus for you? Because see, if we claim to be a believer, 1 Peter tells us some really impactful words I want to read for us. In 1 Peter 3, chapter, or chapter 3, verse 15, it says this. He says, you must worship Christ as your Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer... Always be ready to explain it, but do this in a gentle and respectful way. What Peter is telling us here is if, if we claim to be, be a believer, our first priority is to worship Jesus as the Lord of our life. And our second thing is to be ready to explain why we have hope in a seemingly hopeless situation. See, the way we see Jesus significantly impacts how we respond to life how we respond when life doesn't go our way, how we respond when tragedy happens, how we respond when illness happens, how we respond when we get fired at work, how we respond where we maybe get laid off during COVID. Because there's gonna come a time, Peter says, when a neighbor is gonna ask you, why are you hopeful in a situation where you shouldn't have hope? Or someone at your kid's school or your kid's sports program or in your FFH program and someone looks at you and says, why are you hopeful in this situation when you shouldn't be hopeful? And Peter says, we have to, ha- have to be able to explain it. And so when we think about that idea and think about how the world has kind of distorted who Jesus is in a lot of ways, I love what Ross said a few weeks back. 
He said that Jesus is neither a kind-hearted pushover, nor is he a hard-hearted tyrant. See, when Jesus came in, in his time, the people were looking for a mighty king. They were looking for a warrior. They were looking for somebody that was going to come and just make everything better for God's people. And in fact, they actually got a baby. They got somebody seemingly insignificant that would grow up to even more insignificance in a carpenter that just really didn't have any status to really do what they wanted him to do. But Jesus was neither the kind-hearted pushover that he was created to be by those that were threatened by him, nor was he a hard-hearted tyrant. He was the perfect king. He was the Messiah. He was the Lord of lords, the king of kings. And what I want us to do today is I want us to answer this question of, of who is Jesus by looking at what Jesus says in his words. When I began to, to think about where we were going with this sermon on this day, I would send emails back and forth with Ross because he's a really wise uh, mentor in my life and I would ask him questions and I kind of tell him where I was going and I said, I'm really wanna center around this question of who is Jesus? And he sent me an email back in all of his wisdom and he said, well, let me just tell you that Jesus is the son of God. There you go. I just saved you eight hours of sermon prep. I was like, thanks, Ross, appreciate that. He's right, Jesus is the son of God, but I love what Jesus says when he identifies who he is in John chapter 14. And that's where we're gonna be this morning. So I wanna ask you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 14 or pull out your smartphone and join us on the, our event in the YouTube app or YouVersion app. But what I want us to do is I wanna set this, this scene up. I love the Bible, how it was written, because it was, it was ultimately written without chapters and without verses. It was written as a letter, and it was written just kind of as, as writing. And so John is really kind of summarizing and, and telling us what Jesus' life was like. And we meet Jesus as he's getting baptized by John. And he goes on, and he goes on to heal, five, or excuse me, goes on to feed 5,000 people with just a few loaves and some fish. You know, what is equivalent to today's Lunchable, right? He, he fed 5,000 men is what the Bible says, not counting the women and children that were probably around as well. And then he goes on and he gives a blind person his sight. And a little further down that, he raises Lazarus from the dead. Jesus' ministry and his life was trending in an upward trajectory. He was gathering multitudes of people around him, not just the 12 he started with, but multitudes were coming around him. His ministry was taking off. Things were going so well. And all of a sudden, chapter 12, Jesus kind of takes a little bit of a turn and he says this. He starts talking about death. He starts talking about more specifically his death. He starts talking about the betrayal, the denial, all the abandonment that's gonna happen. And, and all, of, all the people that are gathered around that have followed Jesus for so long start to kind of like say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Everything's going super good right now. And you're saying it's gonna get bad? That doesn't make any sense. In fact, in John chapter 12, verse 35, Jesus says this, or not, excuse me. This is what the people say to Jesus. They say, we understand the scripture that the Messiah, who you claim to be, Jesus, would live forever. So how can you say the son of man will die? Just who is the son of man anyway? Did you catch that right there? Those closest to Jesus, those that have traveled with Jesus, those that have seen him feed 5,000, those that have seen him give blind their sight, those that saw him raise Lazarus from the dead, ask the question, who is Jesus? Who is this man that we left everything behind to follow? Who is Jesus? And he goes on in chapter 13 and it's the Passover meal. 
It's the Last Supper is what we know it. And Jesus is sitting around the room with his disciples and he's starting to, to kind of lay out some things and he says, hey, I want to tell you guys some things. I want, to, I want to bring you into the inner circle. I want to tell you that one of you is going to betray me. I'm not going to look at anybody, but Judas, I'm looking right at you. One of you is going to deny me. I'm not going to point fingers, but Peter, it's you. In Matthew's gospel, he records the same situation. And Jesus actually looks at all of them after he tells Peter he's going to deny him. saying, all of you are going to flee because of me. He talks about abandonment, denial, betrayal. And then he walks right into what we're going to read this morning in John chapter 14. Turn there with me. And this is what Jesus says right after he hits them with all of this, this trauma that he's going to have. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, what I've told you, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when everything is ready, I will come back and I will get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way where I'm going. I love what Thomas pipes in right here and says, he says, no, we don't, Lord. We have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way to get there? I love this passage. I love what Jesus does here because he's, he's doing all of these things. He's talking about abandonment, betrayal, and denial. And then he says, hey, but don't be troubled by it. It's all good. You trust in God, trust in me also. He says, you trusted in God before I ever came on the scene. Now I'm asking you to trust in me also. Trust in God and trust also in me. And then he says something really key. He says, I'm coming back for you. I promise that I'm going to go prepare a place for you and I'm coming back to take you to it. In my life, my wife has a job that requires her to go to St. Petersburg uh, once or twice a month. Usually it's a Thursday, Friday, sometimes Wednesday, Friday trip. And so when she leaves, she leaves when I leave the house to go take the kids on, on a Thursday morning to school and, and daycare. And so the kids are loving on their mom. And, and my four-year-old looks up at her mom and says, hey, mommy, I love you. Are you coming back? And so if I'm being honest, I'm kind of leaning in because I want to hear the answer. Because if you've met my four-year-old, she is not a single parent child. She has to have two. And so I'm wanting to hear a, a, a definitive yes from my wife. And she says, yes, baby, I'm coming back. And so I wipe the sweat off my brow. And, and then Susan or Jenny asks her another question. She goes, you promise? And Susan goes, yes, I promise, baby. And so when she gets back on Thursday, or, or excuse me, on Friday, Jenny runs up to her and says, Mommy, you always come back. And I'm like, yes, she does. See, my four-year-old believed the promise of my wife 100%, never questioned it. We know that my wife's making a promise that, that earthly, her earthly heart wants to, wants to fulfill. God willing, she comes home every time. But Jesus is looking at his disciples and saying, I'm coming back for you. And I'm not promising you like a mother promises a child she's coming back. I'm promising you that I'm coming back because I am the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and I am coming back. It's an eternal promise. And then, of course, Thomas pipes in with this question. It's like, how, how do we know where you're going? We don't know the way. And Jesus tells them in verse 6, very simply, he looks at him and says, I am the way, 
I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. When we talk about the idea of authentic faith and who Jesus is, we must believe his words as our truth. So what are his words right there to the disciples and ultimately to us is that he is the way. He is the way to God. He's the only way to God. And I love the fact that, that there's never been a man that's gotten lost in this life. We take the scenic route. I don't know if you ladies knew that, but we like to drive the scenic route. I have taken the scenic route really good two times in my life. The first time was when I was 17 years old. I wanted to be the, at the end of the year, I wanted somebody to say, he is the, he is the most spirited in our school. And so I wanted to go to every high school football game that we had. I would paint up, I would have a megaphone. I was the number one cheerleader, even though I couldn't play the sport, I wanted to be at every game. And so we made the district playoffs and we had to go to Grenada, Mississippi. And you can see on the map behind me, I lived in Columbus, Mississippi, which was on the east side of Mississippi. And Grenada was kind of in the middle of the state. It was really simple drive. One way, one, Highway 182, you take it from Columbus all the way to Grenada. I had driven that way, well, I had ridden that way since I was 10 years old with my parents. This is the first time I was driving it myself. And so we stopped in Starkville to have dinner. And the thing about Starkville, Mississippi, is there's three ways in and the same three ways out. You can drive in from Columbus and you can go back to Columbus on Highway 182. You can take Highway 182 from Starkville and go to Grenada. Or you can take Highway 25 and go south to Jackson, Mississippi. Well, I got a little turned around when I was in Starkville. Instead of going west to Grenada... I went south to Jackson. About two and a half hours later, I figured out I was in the wrong place. We had to pull out a map because there was no such thing as GPS. And we had to find our way back to Grenada. I was lost. And Jesus is looking at Thomas and saying, you're not lost. I'm the way to God. Authentic faith in who Jesus is ultimately looks to Jesus to find our direction. We look to Jesus to find our direction. So what else does Jesus say? Well, he says, I am the way, I am the truth. The truth is something in, that has now become really kind of a relative term. There's your truth, there's my truth, there's alternative facts. In fact, Barna Group did a poll of millennials, Gen X, and Gen Z. And if you don't know who Gen Z is, that's our middle school and high school students. That's our future leaders. And they ask them, what is truth? What is moral right and moral wrong? And 24% of Gen Z in 2018 said that moral right and moral wrong changed based on the time and the society. 24% said morally right and morally wrong changes based on time and society. They basically said that truth is a sliding scale. It's not a fixed position. I want to illustrate that. And to do that, I want to bring out one of our students who was on stage here. I'm going to bring out Daniel Jones. He's one of our seniors. And so I'm going to ask Daniel. We're going to have a little competition to see who can walk away with some bragging rights. So, Daniel, I want you to take this. I want you to toss it. Not too far. I know you've been working out. So not too far. That's not, not bad. So if we were going to, to guess how far that was, Daniel, how far do you think that is away? Three and a half feet. You sure on that? 
I think it's about, I think that's probably closer to four feet. And so the only way that we're going to be able to figure out who's right and who gets the bragging rights is if we have a unit of measurement that is absolutely stable, is absolutely standard. Luckily, I have something. So Daniel, I want you to walk over there and let's put it kind of in the middle of it. And let's see. So we're at 58 inches. So it's about four and a three quarters feet. What'd you say? Three and a half? And I said, what? I think I said two. What did I say? Closer to four, I win. There you go. Thanks, Daniel. The only way for us to figure out who was going to walk away with bragging rights, one was to remember what I said, but two was to have a fixed unit to measure that. Something that we both agreed was absolute truth. And Jesus is saying, I am the way to God, and I'm also the absolute truth by which you have to ultimately commit your life to. See, authentic faith in who Jesus is, is going to reflect the very nature of Jesus. Throughout my life, I've always been super competitive. I've always played sports. Um, if it had rules and if it kept score, I wanted to play it. And throughout high school, I was really competitive at it. I didn't have so much have the Jesus part of it, but I really had the competitive part of it. And as I've grown up and I've kind of matured in my faith and matured in just the fact that I can't beat younger people at stuff now, I, I look at myself a little bit different. And I look across a ping pong table or across a pool table and I say, is that person that I'm competing against, is that relationship more important than me getting, being right and winning? And absolutely they are. Because that person is a relationship. That person is the representation of a child of God. And that person, I want to have influence in their life to show them who Jesus is. And so I want to reflect the truth of who Jesus is in my life. And I only do that by looking at the standard that he sets in his own life and through his words. And the last thing he says to the disciples and to Thomas, he says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, but ultimately I am the life. And the Greek word he's using here is the word Zoe. You may know someone named Zoe. We have a student in our student ministry named Zoe, but he's ultimately not necessarily talking about life and death. He's talking about fullness of life. In fact, in John 10, 10, he uses the same word when he says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to give them life and give it to the fullest. See, Jesus wants to give us a full, happy life in line with his plan and his will. Authentic faith in who Jesus is yearns for a fullness in life that only Jesus can give. If you've been around Canoe Creek any time, you've probably heard the, the quote I'm going to say here in just a second because we've used it bits and pieces here and there in different sermons and different things that we've done. But I wanted to read this quote from C.S. Lewis just as we kind of land the plane on this sermon so that we all can kind of hear what the nature behind because I think it really goes well with what Jesus is trying to tell the disciples. And this is what he says, Our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink, sex, and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. And like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. And I'm not just the life, I'm the life to its fullest I'm not just a snack size, I'm a king size for you. 
And think about it. It's authentic faith is not something that can be purchased or inherited. It can only be found through a faith relationship with Jesus. Jesus doesn't force us into that. It's our choice. And that's what I love about the tension that he puts right here is that no one's gonna get to the Father except through me. It's your choice. Who is Jesus? He is most definitely the Son of God. He is the Lord of Lords. He's the King of Kings. He's the perfect King. He's the way to God. He's the stability and truth. And he is the giver of life eternal when we choose to ask for him. So the question at the end of the day It's not who Todd says Jesus is. It's not who Ross says Jesus is. It's not who your parents or your friends say who Jesus is. It's ultimately, how do you define who Jesus is for you? Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you, God, for this day. God, I thank you for this truth in your word. God, I pray that... um, God, I pray that we would start to internalize this question, kind of look in the mirror and say, who do I say Jesus is? How do I define who you are for me? God, when we think about having a relationship based off who you are, God, we have to look to your truth to define our reality. I pray that for this church. I pray that for these graduates. God, I pray all of this in your name. Amen. So we're going to move to a time of communion. We're going to invite you to, to take your communion. And as you hold your communion, it represents Jesus' body and his blood that was broken and poured out for your sins and for my sins. It represents who he is. He was a savior for our sins. He was the perfect king for our transgressions. And as you sit there and hold those elements and we think about Jesus' body broken for our sins, his blood poured out for our mistakes, I wanna invite you into about 30 seconds to a minute of just reflection and take the communion as you will.